As Dave was kind of saying, we wrapped up um, a 12-week study on Leviticus, and there's so much packed into Leviticus. And one of the things that we didn't get to talk about too much that um, I was kind of interested in in sharing this morning was talking about what this concept of Sabbath is. And so um, I picked Hebrews chapter 4 to to kind of look through this concept of what a Sabbath is and what God kind of talks about. Um, What's interesting is, as I studied Hebrews, um, it was nothing like I thought I was going to preach on this morning. So I had great plans, and then I read the text, and now I have new plans. But I think it will still be hopefully pretty good. So why don't you go ahead and open up to Hebrews um, the other thing I was seeing as I was studying was that, um, unfortunately, what I wanted was Hebrews 4, but I don't think you could talk about Hebrews 4 without really talking about um, Hebrews chapter 3. And so we're going to kind of start going through this idea of God inviting us to a Sabbath rest and what that really means and what Hebrews kind of lays out on what's behind that idea, what it means to rest in the Lord, to rest in God, and, um, and some of the things that, that he draws from Old Testament to kind of help us connect with this idea. Uh, Hebrews is an amazing book. What you're really reading when you go through the book of Hebrews is really some, some early church sermons. Hebrews is, is a guy, uh, we assume, we don't know who the author is, that was, was really preaching sermons to the early church. And the reason why it's, it's such an incredible book is because it really hits on Old Testament ideas um, time and time again. When you go through Hebrews, he is constantly pulling out Old Testament ideas, Old Testament themes, and then, then connecting those to Jesus constantly. And so even right here in, in Hebrews chapter 3, you can see here that he begins to really focus in on talking about Moses, but he's talking about Moses because he wants us to understand how incredible Jesus is. In Hebrews chapter 3, the first couple of verses, 5 and 6, he talks about Moses as being a faithful as a servant in all of God's house bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are in his house, if indeed we hold firmly to our confidence and hope in which we glory. And so there's this this thing that Hebrews is trying to do here, and is trying to connect you with the idea of Moses and and how Jesus is greater than that. when you speak to a Jewish crowd, like when you mentioned the name Moses, that just comes with a whole bunch of like understanding of who Moses is, uh, why he's such an incredible person. Um, when you look at this, you notice the details, they're super duper light. Like, who is Moses? Why is he important? And why is Christ being compared to him as being greater than Moses in this? And so when you read Hebrews chapter 3, and he talks about Moses, you're, you're supposed to know who this guy is, and you're supposed to understand why he is, he is such an impactful member or person in this story. Um, so real quick, we're not going to summarize all of Moses' life, but there's a few key things that we can connect with to understand um, why is Moses being brought in when we start to begin talking about Jesus and, and this rest that we're going to be reading about in chapter 4. 
Moses, as you know, was, was a guy that was kind of raised up by God to be a deliverer. What his job was, was to bring the Israelites out of Egypt and to rescue them from slavery. His story in Exodus, all through the first 10 chapters, even up to chapter 15, it's really a story of redemption. Moses is redeeming this nation of Israel out of Egypt. And what he's doing is pulling them out, leading them out into the wilderness. And it's there that this covenant relationship with God begins in, in, in the desert. Moses is, is the guy that was leading the Israelites all throughout the desert up to Mount Sinai. And from there, a covenant relationship is established between God and this nation. Now, in the wilderness, how does it go for these Israelites, if you know the story or have seen the Charlton Heston movies, um, how does it go? How do the Israelites do in the wilderness? Terrible. The time in the wilderness, it, it's, it's very, a very dark time for the Israelites. It is not happy. It is, it, is, it is dark. And time and time again, we read stories of these, these people who God has rescued and redeemed out of Egypt, continually rebelling against God and rebelling against Moses. And so that's the story that you're supposed to have here in your brain when you read this. Like Moses is greater than Jesus. And Moses, the guy that redeemed them out of of Egypt and brought them into the wilderness and was going to bring them to the promised land. And so that image kind of frames where we start reading through the rest of of chapter 3. So um, I won't have this up here, but let's kind of follow through what the author takes us through with the Moses, the image of Moses in the back of our mind. Verse 7. So, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried me. Though for 40 years they saw what I did, that is why I was angry at that generation. And I said, their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared an oath on my anger that they shall never enter my rest. And so what, what Hebrews is, is inviting us to see here is that we have Moses, right? And now we have Jesus, and Jesus is greater than Moses. But look what happened in their response to Moses, in the rebellion, and in their, their, their defiance. They rejected Moses as a leader, and they rejected him, uh, God. And, and then what happened? God responds in anger. He makes an oath, and he says that they shall never enter my rest. And so... See what the author is trying to do here. We're, we're trying to connect with an idea in Hebrews that when, when they rejected Moses, God responded in, in, in anger, really, and rejected them. And so now we're bringing in Jesus, and we're bringing in one who is greater than Moses. And, and what will happen if we reject him? Skipping down to uh, 16. Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? 
And with whom was he angry for for 40 years? See, this is, this is where he's trying to connect these ideas. Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom did God swear that they would never enter rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. And so this is why chapter 3 is going to set us up for chapter 4. We're talking about an invitation to rest. And so what, what Hebrews is doing in the first chapter here, the, the third chapter, is he's connecting us with the story of the Israelites in the wilderness. Now, the Old Testament, I, I don't know what you think of the Old Testament, but, but um, you can read the Old Testament in a lot of different ways. Um, there's a lot of wrong ways to read it, but I think one of the most important ways to read all of the narrative that you see in the Old Testament is one where we're supposed to see ourselves in these stories. All the stories and all the different things that we see happening in the Old Testament, it's meant to help us see ourselves in that story. The moment you start to look at these stories, especially the Israelites in the wilderness, how they reacted to Moses, how they reacted to to God, and to think that we are not the same, that we are not capable of the same sin, the same rebellion, the same fickleness in our faith, that's when we start to miss the point of the Old Testament and what it's trying to show you. We are to see ourselves in these stories. When we look at the story of David, when we look at the story of the prophets, when we look at the stories of of all these people in the, in the Old Testament that we, we look up to and we revere. Um, it's one of my favorite things about the Old Testament. Um, are these good people in the Old Testament? Um, no. They're broken people. They're messed up people. They're people that have issues, that have, that have the same sin, the same issues that you and I deal with. That is who the Old Testament is made up of, these broken people. And so when we read through the Old Testament and we read through these stories, if you don't begin to connect their story with your story, then you could be missing out on some important things here. And when, when Hebrews is talking about the Old Testament in chapter 3, and when he's mentioning Moses, and when he's mentioning the, the time of testing in the wilderness, it's an invitation to us to see ourselves in those stories. It's an invitation to you to see that, that you are just like those people in the wilderness. And you have the same challenges in your faith. And you go through the same testing. And, and for, you, um, for you to conclude that I'll never end up like these folks in, in the Old Testament and the ridiculous, uh, that, that's, that's missing the point. Um, we are joking, you know, Jim, in, in our Leviticus class, talking about the upper room, And how it's like, you know, you read these stories and it's like, how can these people not get it? How can they not understand what Jesus was talking about? We're talking about how in the upper room, Jesus was talking about he's going to a place to prepare it for us. And that we're going there, um, we're going to follow him after he goes there, but you can't come with me right now. And very matter-of-factly, the disciples were kind of like, "Well, well, I'm not busy this week and I can go. Like, what do you mean? Like, like. Sure, I can go. What, what, what do you mean you can't go? You read that, and it's comical, and it's funny. But, um, but it, it's, it's to miss the point to just like kind of chuckle and move on. 
we're supposed to connect ourselves to these stories and see us in here. And God is inviting us to see that we have the same challenges. We suffer from the same, the same problems. And when the Hebrews is talking about the Israelites in the wilderness, and the fact that God responded to them very harshly, here in the end of Hebrews chapter 3, he's trying to connect that we have the same challenges. We have the same problems. And if, if we are not careful then we can miss out on his rest. He then shifts into chapter 4. And he starts off with the therefore. And, and therefore is probably the most helpful word in all the Bible, because whenever you see a therefore, you always ask yourself, well, what is that therefore there for? <laughs> and it's all chapter 3. It's all there leading us up to talking about the Israelites in the wilderness and their unfaithfulness and the rebellion Therefore, knowing that, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us, just as they did. But the message that they heard was of no value to them, because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now, th- this right here, th- this is where it's supposed to be like the first, you know, punch in the gut for you. This is the first like time when, when Hebrews is supposed to be getting in your face about this. He's, he, he talks about how that promise of rest, it still stands. And it, then comes that warning, right? Be careful, be careful, be careful. That invitation to rest stands. But be careful that you do not fall short of it. Why? Because we have been proclaimed the good news to us just as they did. But the message that they heard, the Israelites, in the wilderness, in their faithlessness, in the rebellion, it had no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. And so... Right there, what he's trying to do is to connect us with this idea that, that the Israelites, what was the problem that they experienced? What was the challenge that they were working through? But apparently they heard all these really important things, but they chose not to obey. Now, um, the one thing that, that's important to, to kind of understand here, this, this, is, this is hard stuff to kind of contend with, Right? And there's a whole lot of stuff that we can't unpack on what it means to, to be a Christ follower and what it means to, to follow Jesus faithfully. But the one thing that it is really inviting us into specifically here is to ask the question, to challenge our hearts with this idea. Is it, is it the case that I could be hearing things and hearing the good news, but actually really not even believing in the good news whatsoever. And so that's what, what Hebrews here is suggesting to us that we would examine in ourselves. If we examine that, that hearing the word of God is not the same of actually believing and having faith in it. It's not the same as just because I heard it means that I actually believe it. And so this kind of leads us to a really important question about uh, how do we see if our actions line up with our beliefs? Now, 
the idea of, of faith in the Bible, it's, it's a rich, rich topic, a rich idea, and it, it has a lot of depth in what it means when we talk about faith, when we talk about having faith. Um, in the book of James, we kind of understand that when we talk about faith, it's, it's not just a belief in something, right? There's more to it than just believing or saying, I know something, right? Um, I mean, we do this all the time, right? Like, we, we, we use that word, I believe in something, whether or not we really truly believe in it. Um, we just kind of utter it. Like, I can say the statement, I believe the Buffalo Bills are going to win the Super Bowl, right? Um, what is that, though, right? Eventually. Now, different folks in the audience could have different levels of faith in that statement, maybe. Um, I've been a Bills fan since the 90s, and, you know, um, you know, my belief, my faith in that statement, it's, it's, it's real low, right? But that's like what we're trying to connect with here, right? Uh, this idea that you can say you believe in something, but your actions and your attitudes just do not line up with it. Um, one of the things that have been very helpful for me to kind of think through this idea, um, th- there's this idea when it comes to your belief system, how it kind of breaks down to three different things, where you have your, your public beliefs, your private beliefs, and your core beliefs. The public beliefs, those are the things that, that I kind of just say, and I want you to, to look at me, and when you see the Chris Vincent that's in front of you, um, there's these public beliefs that I want you to believe is true about me, right? Um, and, and this is where you begin to really sell yourself, right? And you really want people to see you in a very particular way. Um, and so, you know, I'm a, a Christian man that loves my wife and is an awesome parent all the time, <laughs> children. Um, this, this public way that, that I want people to see me. And then there's these private hell beliefs, these, these beliefs that you have that you kind of internalize, but um, when, when you really get down to those kinds of beliefs, um, they, they really don't you know, result in action in any certain way in your life. And then we get to your core beliefs, and those are the things that are, are inside of you, that are deep in your heart, that are, are, are the things that drive all of your behaviors, the things that drive everything that you do and everything that you really believe, your actions are, are kind of connected to your core beliefs. And that's why when the Bible talks about faith, true faith, true faithfulness, it's something that is deep inside of you. It's something that gets into your core and begins to change you on the inside and begins to impact everything that you do externally to you. When we start to talk about the ministry of Christ and what he does and why that was so impactful, it's because the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that begins to go inside of you and begins to change who you are internally and begins to drive new actions, new behaviors, a new you. Beliefs can be very fickle. And what you truly believe can really be connected to the circumstances. When times are good, when times are bad, you could behave two different ways. And this is what we're invited to see when we look at the Israelites in the wilderness. 
Though they have heard the message, as Hebrews uh, 4, 1 and 2 talk, though they have heard the message, though they have heard the news, the good news, it did not result in any actual changes in their actions and behaviors. And so this is, this is where Hebrews is supposed to be challenging you and is supposed to be really getting in your face about things. Do we just believe the things that we hear or do the things that we hear result in actual change and actual uh, uh, differences in the way we behave and act in this world? And Hebrews is trying to connect us with that. And all of this is connected to when we miss out on this core idea of faith, having faith in, in the good news. When we miss out on that, that's when we miss out on the rest that God invites us into. So, what is that rest? <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 4, 3. Now that he's kind of um, challenged you with understanding that, that we're invited to look at our actions and see if they actually are lining up with our beliefs. The author then starts to turn in verse 3 and starts to talk about that rest that you can miss out on. So in verses 1 and 2, don't miss out on that rest. Don't miss out on that rest. You don't want to miss out on that. And then in 3, it's like, okay, so what is that rest? That's where we start to turn now. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared an oath on my, in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. Remember, that's a quote from Psalms. We saw that in chapter 3. Yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. So what is that rest? And what does that mean that unbelief means that I can actually miss out on that rest? Um, what I think is helpful is to kind of look at the way um, the ancients might have viewed what that rest is. In Deuteronomy chapter 12, we kind of see this verse where, where it actually talks about that rest specifically. And this is actually connected to everything we read about in you know, chapter 3 and the wilderness and the invitation that God has to invite them into rest in the promised land. Um, here we read in 12, 9 through 10, For you have not yet come to the rest and to the inheritance that the Lord your God has given you. But when you go over the Jordan and live in the land that your Lord, your God, is giving you to inherit, and when he gives you rest from all your enemies around so that you live in safety. And so here we, we begin to connect with that idea of rest. And, and for the, the folks that have been hearing this sermon in Hebrews, they would have connected the idea of rest to maybe this right here, that rest was an invitation to the promised land. The rest that we're, we're being invited to is in the promised land, right? And so here, God begins to invite um, people into the rest. Now, um, let me start to kind of connect us with this idea. So, so for us, what is that rest? Um, is it a plane ticket to Israel? Hopefully not. That's a very expensive plane ticket. In Hebrews 4 and 5, he begins to kind of expand upon what that rest is a little bit more. And so we're going to kind of walk through what that rest is for the next 10, chat, or 10 verses here. 
as, as he really starts to flesh out what this rest is. And look how he begins here in chapter, verse 4. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words. On the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again, the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. Now, I, I love I love this. Um, this is like, you know, lazy preaching to me. Um, somewhere, somebody's spoken about a seventh day, right? Somewhere, right? Um, where is that somewhere? Where is somewhere in that Bible that they talked about that seventh rest, right? Genesis probably, right? Right? He doesn't call out Genesis in here, but when he says somewhere they talked about a rest, what is that supposed to connect you with? Genesis, right? It connects you with the story of Genesis. Now, again, Genesis is a a whole book of awesomeness that we don't have enough time to kind of unpack, but um, when he connects you to that idea of Genesis, he's trying to connect you with the creation narrative where God is, is ordering the cosmos, he's creating land, sea, and, and, and the sky. He's putting um, animals in those three spheres of the land, the sea, and the sky. Um, and, and eventually he gets to, to creating all the plants and all the animals. And we read in days 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6 that God creates something, Right? And how does he talk about what he just created? What, did he, what does he say about that thing? It's good, right? It's good. And then he gets to a certain day, and he makes you, and he makes me. And what does he say about that day? It's not just good. It's, it's very good. It's very good. And on every single day, we read that he, 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 the day ended, there was evening, and there was morning, and then there's the next day. And so that pattern repeats until we get to the seventh day. And on that seventh day, what does God do? He rests. And he enters into creation. And there's this idea that, that once creation has been, been kind of laid out in a landscape and, and, and creation is just there, he enters into it. Um, like a holy temple, and begins to dwell in in creation, and he rests in it. And one of the things that you may notice, if you read super carefully, is that there's a day and there's a morning, right? And there's an evening, and then we start the next day. Um, Do we get that language with that seventh day? Does the seventh day from the creation narrative end? No, God has rested in his creation, and he's there in creation resting. And that's why for, for him to invoke the Genesis idea of, of God creating the cosmos and then him actually resting in that, that's an invitation to us to enter that rest. Verse 6, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest... Because that rest, is it ending? Has it ended? It is ongoing. And since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day, calling it today. This he did when a long time later he spoke through David in the passage already and quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, 
Do not harden your hearts. And then here's, here's the big thing. This is, this is how it kind of helps you connect this idea that what is the rest that we're really talking about? Verse 8, for if Joshua had given them rest in Deuteronomy 12, if the idea of rest was entering that promised land, was entering into the, the, the land that he had given them, if that was what rest really was, then God would not have spoken about that on another day. See, see, God is trying to invite us into rest with him. And this idea of rest is connected to the Genesis story. When God creates all of creation, and Genesis, it, it, it really is meant to answer um, the questions of who and why of creation. The who being God. God creates everything, and the why is because he did it in his goodness and because, um, and because he loved you. And when he looks at you, he thinks you are very good. And so he enters into that good creation, and he enters into a rest, and then we are invited into that. Verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. And so, again, we're, we're seeing these invitations to look at how is rest in our minds supposed to look like. It's, it's, it's Genesis, right? Where, where, where God worked and he produced, and for six days he, he went through the, the process of, of ordering creation, and, and then on the seventh day, he rested. And, and there's this idea that, that God enters creation and enjoys it and rests in it. And we are invited into the same kind of rest. So um, let's talk about this right here. Um, and here's, here's the fun part of Hebrews chapter 4. What, what is that rest specifically? What, what are we talking about when we say that rest? We're connecting a lot of different ideas of the, the rebellious Israelites in the wilderness. We're connecting it with hearing the good news and our faith, not actually being true faith. Um, we understand the creation narrative going on here as far as, as God entered into that rest. And, and so you're sitting there thinking, well, what is that rest? Is it eternity? Is it um, the gospel? Is it something else? And, and here, here's my terrible answer. Um, the author doesn't tell you specifically what that rest is, but I think the reason why is because for, for different people, you can hear that message differently, what it means to actually enter into rest with the Lord. When you think about when a church is hearing this invitation to rest with God, and his invitation to, to truly believe in the good news of the gospel, um, that, that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people, right? If you're new in your faith, and this is something that um, you haven't been doing for a very long time, then maybe an invitation to enter into that rest is really an invitation to understand the gospel and the good news of Christ and what that looks like and what that means and how that is supposed to impact you and change you. Um, for some of us, we could be like what he's calling out in the first couple of, of verses in chapter 4, that maybe 
you have lived your life believing in everything that, that you know, a pastor up here or a study that you've been to or the scriptures that you've read, and you say, yes, I believe that, yes, I believe in that, yes, I believe in that. But when you look at your actions, when you look at how you live, when you look at, at the things that you do in, you know, away from the church, then, then your actions and your faith and your beliefs, they don't line up. And there's an invitation there to enter into that rest that God has, to enter into the good news. For some of us, um, you could have been in your faith a long, long time. And for some of us, when we've been in our faith for such a long time, there's a tendency for you to drift away from what the gospel truly is. And we begin to forget what it means to actually live out the gospel and acknowledging that God has, has paid for all of my sins and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing that I can do to have any impact on my salvation except to put my trust and faith in Jesus Christ. And so you begin to drift and you begin to, to um, start to look at the world as, as you need to actually start doing better, you need to live your life good, you need to be doing the right thing and not the wrong thing. And it becomes almost like this, this holy to-do and not-to-do type list. And we start to forget what the gospel actually is and, and how it's supposed to transform you and how it's actually supposed to change every single thing that you do. And that is the thing that we rest in. And so when we talk about the rest that God is inviting us into, I'm sorry, Harry, that's God. Tell him, try my best. When God invites us into rest, it's an invitation into looking at the way we are acting and the way that our behaviors are and seeing if that lines up with the gospel and seeing if it lines up with the things that God calls us to, to believe in. In verse 11, there's a reminder here after there's an invitation to that rest and for us to kind of imagine for us what it means to enter into that rest, into into the relationship with God, into the good news, into the gospel. When we are invited into that, um, in verse 11, there's a very, very curious uh, verse here where he says, let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their examples of disobedience. Now, I love this statement because it's so, like, you know, confusing, right? Um, what are you supposed to work really hard at doing? Resting. Make every effort and work really, really hard to enter that rest. Now, it looks very strange, but, but it makes all the sense when you look at our lives and how, how we have a tendency to drift away from understanding what the gospel is and misunderstanding what, what, what Jesus accomplished on the cross and, and you can actually get to a point in your life when you stop actually resting with God the way you were called to. Hebrews chapter 4 ends here in verses 12 and 13. And this is where it's the final punch in the gut, if you will. Because you've been reading through all this chapter You've been reading about how we're challenged to keep our faith and our belief and our actions in alignment. 
and you're seeing his invitation to enter into God's rest and to believe the good news. And we see all these things being challenging to us. And, and so the natural question for us to ask going through chapter 4 is, well, how do I know if I am really resting in the Lord? How am I supposed to know if it's true that my beliefs and my actions and my faith is straight? How am I supposed to figure that out? And we see that here in conclusion in chapter 4. Verses 12 and 13. How am I supposed to know if my faith lines up with my, my, my beliefs? How am I supposed to know if, if I truly do internalize the gospel? How am I supposed to know if it's embedded in my heart and driving every action in my life? Verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active and sharper than any double-edged sword. What does it do to you? It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all of creation is hidden from God's sight, and everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give accounts. Now, that, that, that's a heavy, heavy verse. And in my head, like I read that, and it's like the dun-dun-dun type thing like goes at the end of it. But, but here we see the thing that is supposed to expose us, the thing that helps us answer that question. Do I, do I really have faith in the gospel? And do I really truly believe of entering that rest? The answer to that question is scripture is supposed to help you make that determination. Scripture is the thing that is supposed to expose us. Scripture is the thing that is supposed to lay bare everything. See, I I, I can have this public belief system. I can have these privately held beliefs, these things that are very fickle, these things that can change in circumstances, these things that can change based on who I'm around and the people that are, are sitting across the table. These things can change constantly. Um, but the one thing that I can't do, I'm, I may be able to hide from, from people you know, things that I'm outwardly trying to show that I want you to think about me. And there's some things that maybe I have privately held that are fickle and can change based on circumstances. Um, but the one thing that Scripture tells us is that that there, there's actually something in your life that can help expose that and help lay that bare and help you understand whether or not you truly do believe in the things that, that the gospel proclaims and whether your actions line up to that. And that, that is the word of God. So, it's a heavy sermon. I apologize. But um, I thought I was going to talk about Sabbath. But kind of did. But the thing that I want to leave you with is this. Um, the rest that God invites you into is a wonderful thing. It's life-giving. It's life-changing. Um, we read throughout Scripture that, that, that God is the source of life, and he gives it abundantly, and in him we can enjoy life to its fullest. And when we go and rest with the Lord, we get to enjoy that life-giving um, source of all creation, that is God. And so we're invited to, to look at the way we act, 
to look at our actions and use scripture to expose whether or not what I truly believe lines up with, with what my actions and my outward you know, things line up to. And that's what Hebrews 4 invites us to, to, to look at and to be challenged with. Let's close in prayer. God, thank you so much for Hebrews and for your word. Uh, Lord, as, as you, you show us in chapter 4, there's an invitation to rest with you, Lord, and to rest in, in your word. I pray, Lord, that we would examine our hearts and we would look at uh, what the word says about us and who we are and our actions and use that to, to really see if that lines up to, to the gospel and living out that truth. Thank you, Lord, for this time, and um, we're so thankful for you. For you. In Jesus' name we pray.